It is a pleasure to be here this evening. Again, thank you to your elders for the invitation to come and spend this week together. I hope that the messages have been beneficial to you. I hope it's been some thought-provoking things. I want to kind of continue a little bit with what we've talked about or at least tie into what we've been talking about the last few nights. Uh, tomorrow night we're going to talk about what must I do to be saved. Uh, Sunday, I don't know yet. So we'll find out. I kind of have an idea what I want to do Sunday morning. Um, but such a pleasure to be here. But I want to, uh, the la last evening we talked about um, high on life, not on drugs. And we talked about drugs and alcohol and the importance of living life and enjoying life and not being stuck in the physical. Uh, that to be a whole person you need to also develop the emotional self, the, the spiritual self. And that we're really immature in the others if only we dwell in the... In the physical, if you're familiar at all with, there's a psychological chart that Maslow put out. Uh, the very bottom of that chart is the, that all of us have basic needs, whatever those are, eating, drinking, uh, sexual drives, things like that, the very basic drives. But as we grow and as we mature, you get into ultimately caring for other people. That's more mature approach to life than just than seeking self. I'm not saying I buy everything that Maslow taught by any stretch. I just want you to get kind of the understanding that, that uh, that's kind of what we've been talking about is not living in the flesh, but being mature enough to develop the intellectual, emotional self and also developing the spiritual self, which obviously is our focus as a church. And when people think church is boring, school's boring, everything's boring, life is boring, uh, that's people that are living in the flesh. That's people that are looking for the next excitement, the next exciting thing to happen. And you don't want to be that way. It's not good for you. It's not healthy for you to be that way. And I want to talk to you. Our congregation, of, oh, this last year, had a uh, series, and, and we called this series Attributes of Good Christian Character. We talked a lot about those, and there's a ton of those. Uh, be a loving person, a kind person, gentle person, those kind of things. We talked about a lot of those things. One of the things we talked about was self-control. I want to share a little bit of that with you today, because I think we as a people, as human beings, we struggle with self-control, the ability to control oneself. And it ties into that concept of living after the flesh. We're always looking for the next high. We're looking for the next thing that thrills us. And, and we, have it, we struggle with saying no to that. It makes me feel good. And we, we struggle with saying, I, can't, I don't need to do that. That's not good for me. That's not healthy for me. And I want, just want to talk to you a little bit about it. The Bible talks about these subjects. And I don't know, y'all may have had a sermon on this last week, but we've not had a lot of sermons in our part of the country on this particular type of thing. But the Bible talks about self-control. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. You say, well, where is self-control in there? It's this word right here temperance. Temperance is, when you read temperance in the body, it's teaching the concept of self-control, the ability to control oneself. I mentioned the other night that you don't want the first time your child has ever heard the word no to be from a police officer at 20 years old or 18 years old or 30 years old. Your child needs to understand that there are boundaries and there, there are limits to behavior and they need to know. It, they, at some point in time, maturity is I say no to it myself. I'm not being told from someone else 
No. I'm saying no to it myself. It's not healthy for me. It's not good for me. That's temperance. And that's one of those things we want to develop in our Christian walk. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 5 says, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance, and temperance patience, patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want you to notice in these gifts that we're talking about here, temperance, okay? Self-control, the ability to control one's self. So if I were going to look up the definition of self-control, I'd come up with something very similar to this. The ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires or the expression of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. How many of us get in very difficult situations? Maybe we were upset over something. Somebody has angered us. Uh, and, and it's difficult for us to control the emotions. It's difficult for us to, to stop for a moment and breathe and say, it's not good if I go there. And I can tell you some of those places for me. I really have to work on things in my own life related to patience and those kind of things because there are just times, some of those times, or let me put it this way, there's a difference between your experience at Dairy Queen and your experience at Chick-fil-A. You know what I mean? And Dairy Queen, I get very frustrated. And Chick-fil-A, it's just such pleasure. Because they are saying, it's my pleasure to serve you. Here's what you need. Your order is correct. And all those things. I go to Dairy Queen, the order is incorrect. And they don't care that it's incorrect. And that frustrates me. But can I control myself in those type of situations? That's the key. And one of the attributes of being a Christian godly person and developing the characteristics that God wants us to have is to be a patient person and also to control our emotions. And that's temperance. Here's your definition for temperance. If you're interested in the Greek word, there it is. Self-control. The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, his sensual appetites. By sensual, it means your physical type desires, whatever those things are. And those things are multiple. It's not, we, a lot of times maybe we try to put sexuality on that, and that's a part of sensual desires, but it's not all of sensual desires. Look at Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul talked about this struggle. He said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now, then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who's going to deliver us from that? Paul talks about this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And our body's saying, I want to do this. I want to participate in this. But our, our spiritual side saying, wait, don't do that. Say no to that. That's not good for you to do that. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And, and Paul, he, 
I know there's some very tricky verbiage in this passage, but basically he's saying the things I really want to do, I end up not doing, and the things I really shouldn't be doing, I end, find myself doing those things. Have you ever had that struggle? I think we all struggle with that thing at some point in time. And our ability to master that or our ability to control that is self-control or temperance. And here's the answer. He said, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Here it is. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Who's going who's to allow me the ability to do that? Who's going to deliver me from that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's the answer. And I'm telling you, people look for answers in a million places today. And they go trying to find answers in a million places. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ can deliver us from that body of death. Romans 8 verse number 13. If you live after the flesh you'll die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. Ye shall live. How can you mortify or put to death the deeds of the body? You do it through the spirit. You've got to dwell on spiritual things. You cannot live in the carnal. And put away the spiritual man. So we talk about self control. In what ways do we need to control? Our eyes. What we look at. We can be tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I just want to tell you, that's a struggle in the flesh. What, what we look at, what we dwell on, sometimes it's good not to look at certain things. Because we need to say no to ourselves. I don't need to see that. That's not good for me. What about the tongue? The ability to control the tongue. There's a challenge for most of us. Now, I've met some folks that didn't seem to struggle with that at all. They're very much in control with their tongue. I lean more on the other side. I have to work on that. The, I was telling y'all the other day that sometimes your strengths are your weaknesses. My strength may be that I can talk in front of a crowd or I can go knock on somebody's door. But what's my weakness? Well, you put your foot in your mouth. That's my weakness. I talked to you about my son-in-law. He's very gentle, meek, quiet spirit. That's a strength for him. Guess what his weakness is? He struggles talking to people. He struggles in the social setting. He, he doesn't warm up to people very well. He stands in the corner. All these strengths can also be weaknesses, but the ability to control one's tongue, we'll look at that here in a moment on what the scriptures teach. What about our anger? What about... Getting fired up over something. Can we control that? Can we stop for a moment and breathe and go, I need to keep this in check. There's times to get angry, but it needs to be controlled. Let's talk sensual desires, even sexual desires, those kind of things. Can we control those things? I tell you, there's a lot of folks today in our culture today struggle with pornography. That's a problem right here. The inability to control one's sensual desires. Self-control. Saying, I'm not going to go there. That's not good for me. That would destroy me. It's not good for my marriage. It's not good for my children. It's not, it would destroy me. I don't need to do that. But those desires could be a lot of other things. Do you know when I talk to you about Maslow's hierarchy of needs? One of those is eating. Well, it doesn't take you very long to look at me and go, well, you didn't say no to that one very often. Right? 
because we have desires and those desires are in a lot of different ways. And I've not struggled necessarily with some things. I told you the other day, I've never drunk a, a drink of alcohol. I have no desire, zero desire to do that. I've never smoked a cigarette. I, I have no desire to smoke a cigarette. I'd never have. To me, it's like licking an ashtray. I mean, it, there's just no reason you'd want to do that. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Or breathing the exhaust from a bus. It just makes no sense. That's not a desire for me. But there are other things that are a desire for me. And you put steak and potato in front of me, and my body says, yes. Right? But you know, that's not always good for me. Somebody else's weakness may not be, or may not be a problem with steak and potatoes, but their problem may be cigarettes or alcohol or other things. Not making light of them. I'm telling you, sometimes the steak and potato weakness can get by socially a little better than the alcohol weakness or the cigarette weakness or the whatever other weakness that we talk about, sexual desires, things like that. But the reality is we all struggle in the flesh. We have struggles. Our bodies want certain things, and, and it is that spiritual war between what God is teaching us and what our physical body yearns or has temptations to. But the Bible says there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. And God will with that He's faithful, and he will with that temptation provide a way to escape. There is not a temptation that is not common to man. If you have felt the temptation, whatever that temptation is, if you have felt that, so have a lot of other people. And you can say no to it. God is faithful. He'll provide a way to escape for us when we talk about those things. I've already mentioned to you a little bit about food, but sometimes that's a challenge for people to control. I'll tell you a little bit about that as we go along. What about our thought life? What about what we're thinking about? Can you control your thoughts? The answer is yes. You have the ability to control your thoughts. So let's look at a couple of these for just a moment. In concept of self-control, Proverbs 25, verse number 28, I mentioned this passage the other night, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. One of the things God wants us to do is to rule our own spirit. We ought to be able to control our own spirit. We ought to be able to control what it is that we're doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. The apostle Paul said, I've got to bring my body into subjection. I cannot say yes to everything my body wants to do. I can't do that. It's not good for me. It's not healthy for me. Now, do you remember the scripture we looked at earlier, though, that said, how am I going to be delivered from the, this body of this old wretched man that I am? How can I be delivered from this body of death? And the answer was, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when we start talking about these things, it's real easy for us to say, you control it, you control it, you control it. And there's a certain element of that, but it's really, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when I start talking about you controlling it, I'm talking about you controlling it through the Spirit of God. I'm talking about you controlling it through the Word of God. I'm talking about you depending upon Christ to give you the tools necessary to control it. So when I say you, I'm not saying all the powers within man to do that. I think we can look around us and see that that's not the case. But I have met some great people that really had the ability to control themselves. One of the things as parents, especially young parents, you've got young children. One of the goals you want is you want your child to be able to control themselves. 
If they cannot control it, and we do that with bathroom skills, we want them to control their bathroom skills till we want them to be able to control themselves in a social setting. We want them to be able to control themselves so they don't hurt themselves. And I know there's a lot of theories about parenting, but there are practical, real things that work in parenting, and then there are theories in parenting. Uh, years ago, I did a Bible study with a young couple, and they just had, I mean, like a brand new baby. The baby was one year old or less. I guess one year old is probably close. We continued to study and, and the child continued to gain a little age on it, but pretty soon they, they had this philosophy, we're not going to put any boundaries on our child. We want the child to be able to explore and find out for itself. We do not want to limit our child in any way. We want our child to be able to, you're destroying your child when you do that. And let me just tell you the story. I come back for a Bible study a few weeks later and that child had climbed up on the back of the couch and had jumped off the back end of the couch and busted off its first tooth in its mouth. Whose fault was that? It wasn't the child's fault. It's mom and dad that couldn't look down the road a little bit and go, hey, it might be good to teach our child to control themselves, don't stand on the furniture or the back of the furniture or don't dive off the back of the furniture and break their teeth off. We have hurt our own child because we're not parenting. We're not seeing down the road the things that are necessary and skills necessary to teach and train our children. Now, sometimes children will do stuff even with parental guidance. I get it. That's a different issue. But I'm talking about parents that have said, we're not going to give them any instruction. The Bible said a child left to himself shall, be, shall bring his mother shame. That's what the Bible said. You don't want to leave a child to himself. You want to train a child. You want to teach a child to control themselves. Apostle Paul said, I keep my body. I bring it under subjection. We have the ability to do that through the Lord's help. Do you remember some of the things that Paul taught to Felix in Acts 24, verse number 24 through 25? After certain days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I'll call for thee. Now I look at that passage and I think, in what ways was he talking to uh, Felix about temperance? Did Felix have a problem with temperance? It's possible. He was out of control maybe. Hey, I'm talking to you today about righteousness and being right with God, controlling what it is you do, and there's a judgment to come. And so Paul was talking to to Felix about these things and Felix trembled. Felix knew he was guilty some of those areas and he said go thy way Matthew chapter 5 verse number 27 you've heard that it was said by them of old time thou shalt not commit adultery but I say unto you that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart the Bible talks about the lust of the eyes and the Bible teaches us, these are the words of Jesus. He says you can control that. If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you committed adultery already in your heart. You have the ability to control what you're looking at. And you have the ability to not look at that. You can turn your head and look the other direction and try to help you with that. The tongue, the Bible talks about that in James 3. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members. Apparently I've got a misspelled word there I just noticed. Among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. 
Oh, what a fire that a little member can kindle. That tongue, it can get you in so much trouble. The Bible talks about those things. You can control that. And he, he brags on somebody that has the ability to control that. Look at that in James 3, verse number 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with, weak, with meekness of wisdom. We can control what it is that we do, what, we, what it is that we say. And I will tell you, when you say things to people, it, let's take Brother David, for instance. I can say, Brother David... You are absolutely the worst vile person I've ever seen in my entire life. I obviously don't feel that way, Brother David, but hypothetically, I could say that to him. I could hurt his feelings, et cetera, et cetera, but it would be very unjust to me to say that about Brother David. Here's the deal. I could go to Brother David later and say, Brother David, I really am sorry. I really apologize. It breaks my heart that I've said those words, et cetera. I want to be forgiven. Brother David could even offer forgiveness, but let me tell you what cannot be done. I cannot untake those words. The words have spewed out, and I can't get them back. It's impossible to get them back. And I'm thankful for forgiveness, and I'm thankful for mercy and grace and all those things, but you cannot get the words back. We've got to be able to control ourselves. I need to have a conversation with Brother David that said, Brother David, this is a challenge for me, but I need to talk to you about it. it. seems like we're having a conflict with each other. Let's try to work through that because we both yearn for the Word of God. Let's work together in that. That's a whole lot better than me not controlling my tongue. I have the ability to control it. Proverbs 26, verse number 19 through verse number 21. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. I told you the other day a story in our local congregation. We went through a very difficult time years ago, and it was a challenge for us as a group. But I am telling you, it's impressive to go through a very difficult time and see a congregation of people that obey this. We're not going to talk about it. Our elders have asked us not to talk about it, not discuss it, and the congregation keeps their mouth closed. That's impressive to control the tongue because you know what the human body wants to do? The human body wants to go, did you hear what happened at church last Sunday? Did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you hear? And, and we just keep feeding a, a church problem and feed it and feed it and feed it because we can't control ourselves. And the reality is we can control ourselves and we can control our tongues. We don't have to be tailbearers. I don't have to talk about things that I know or I've heard or I've seen. I don't have to do that. I can control that tongue. Talk about our temper, our anger. Matthew 5 says, You've heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his Brother Reka shall be in danger of the council. For whosoever shall say, Thou fool, thou shall be in danger of hellfire. You know what Jesus is teaching? These are the words of Jesus. I know they're not in red, but they're the words of Jesus. And he says, It was said years ago, don't kill. But he said, I'm raising the standard for Christian people. You don't even be angry. Don't be angry with your brother without a cause. 
You've got to be able to control yourself. You've got to be able to control the emotion that is taking place. That's temperance. That's developing the character of temperance. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5. Can we control our thoughts? Casting down imaginations and everything that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We can bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have the ability to control our thoughts. I don't have to think about things that are evil. I don't have to think about things I shouldn't be thinking about. I don't want to dwell on those things. I can tell you in the flesh, that's a struggle. In the flesh, we have a tendency to go places in our mind that we don't need to go. It's not healthy for us. It's not good for us. What you've got to learn to do is to control that and say, it's one thing to think something, but I don't need to dwell on that. I don't need to dwell in there. I need to control that. So let's start thinking about something good. Let's start thinking about how good the brethren are. Let's start thinking about how good the sisters in Christ are. Let's start thinking about some southern gospel music. Let's start thinking about something that's better for us than maybe our brain being in a place, or our thoughts being in a place that they shouldn't be. We have the ability to control those things. One of the things I want to... This has to do with sexual desires specifically, but First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 5 says, Defraud ye not one the other, except to be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. The word incontinency there means lack of self-control. Now this scripture is specifically given to married people that said, I don't want you to defraud yourself, meaning don't give your bodies to each other in a sexual sort of way. Don't do that. Don't keep yourself from each other. Except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Then you can come together again and Satan won't tempt you for your lack of self-control. just want you to know what the verse is talking about. I think a lot of times we have a tendency to read those words and not put it in application. Okay? But I want to, you know, sexuality is not, a, not an evil thing. Lisa and I are sexual creatures. We're married to each other, but there's a place for sexuality. And I'm telling you today the same thing I would tell my own daughters as I raise my own daughters. Sexuality is not wrong. Sexuality in the wrong place is wrong. Out of place is wrong. And I promise you that if I, Lisa and I are married couples, we share sexual intimacy with each other, we have four children, it's obvious we share sexual intimacy with each other, but it's not just sexual intimacy that we share with each other. We share emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy. There's a lot of depth to our marriage that's not just sexuality. But sexuality in that marriage is not a problem. That's, that's what you would expect in a marriage. So I, I hope I'm not shocking anyone today by talking about those things. The problem is we take those things and we we put them out of their place. And I promise you, our daughters would not like it if I said to Lisa, I'm going to defraud you sexuality, and I'm going to go over here and give my sexuality to another woman. And the Bible calls that adultery. And I promise you, all four of my daughters would say, Dad, you have violated the boundaries of the Word of God. You don't do that. And there are many other places, anything outside that bond of marriage. You've, and let me tell you what you get with a bond of marriage. You get a commitment. Lisa and I shared a commitment before we were sexually intimate with one another. And that commitment 
allowed us to say we're going to be here for each other emotionally, emotionally, spiritually, in every other way, not just in a sexual way, but in every way. We've, we're going to give ourselves to each other, we're going to commit to each other, and that's going to be a lifetime commitment for she and I. And then we have children that come into that home. And those children recognize that mom and dad have a commitment to each other. There's security in the home. Those children are looking up and saying, dad's not going to be gone tomorrow and running around with 14 different women. And mom's not going to be running around with 14 different men. And all those, the children grow up with a blanket of security like we talked about the other night. They, they have a foundation of security. I'm telling you, our society, we are ripping the foundation out from underneath our children because we're not following the plan of God in our homes a lot of times. And our children are insecure. Our children struggle. Our children are trying to figure out, how do I make decisions on right and wrong? It's, it's obvious that everything around me seems to be chaos. And we're destroying that foundation. I had a guy came to me at the area-wide meeting in 2018, whatever year this is, maybe it's 2019, whatever year it was in Houston. And we talked on the fathers at that area-wide meeting, and he's a fairly new guy to our congregation. He's still in our congregation, he and his wife, they have had a child, and, but he's fairly new, fairly new to the church. He didn't have any experience in the church at all. And he was sitting in the back at the area-wide meeting. You know, we had, I don't know, what was there, a 1,000 people there that year or something, 900 people, something. And, and he was sitting in the back over there, and it was just he and his wife. And, of course, there's a lot of stuff going on at area-wide meeting, and, you know, we're running around and all that. But I just noticed they were kind of by themselves. I went over there to visit with them, and, and what's up? You know, what's happening? And all that kind of thing. And he said, he said, I've just got to be honest with you. He said, you know, when I first met you, he said, I just thought you were arrogant. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. You know, I don't want that to be the case. He said, but I, once I got to know you, I found out that wasn't the case at all. He said, I appreciate you. But he said, I don't understand. He said, I talked to your daughters. I'm not trying to brag on them. I'm just trying to explain to you. that it's, it's a new person coming to the church. He said, I talked to your daughters, and your daughters are so confident in who they are and where they're going and, and what they're doing. What is it you're doing? And I said, well, I don't know 100% what, you know, what you're talking about, but I can tell you, generally speaking, we know where we're going and what we're doing and, and why we're going there. Well, how do you know that? And I said, well, first of all, let me explain to you a couple of things. Very early in life, I had the privilege of having a mom and dad that taught me the Word of God. And very early in life, I had the privilege of being with some other people and other preachers, things like that, that taught me the Word of God. And they shared with me how the Word, word of God works. And, and I've had the privilege of other people sharing with me those things. And I've had that for years. Well, this particular guy I'm talking about is a math teacher in high school. He teaches calculus. And I said... Let me ask you a question. Do you get up and teach calculus and go, well, I really don't know what I'm talking about, and I, I just, I have no, you know, no knowledge whatsoever about calculus, but I'm just stuck in this classroom, and I'm just going to try to tell you what I do know, and, but I really don't know much. And, you know, that's not what you do. What, the guy has a master's degree in math, and he's continued on. He's got a superintendent certification or principal certification or something along those lines. The guy knows what he's doing. But why does he know what he's doing? Because he's been trained to do what it is he was doing. And that's no different than any Christian that's in this room. There are times, I promise you, that you could talk to me about a subject that you do every day, and I'm going to be clueless. 
I'm going to be lost to what you're... Your, your expertise may be. There's some of you nurses that would know things and, and, and know terminology, things like that, that I would be going, how do you know that? You know, Well, I went to college and learned it. Somebody shared it with me. That's the way we learn stuff. And your nurses, it might be a little uncomfortable if you went to a nurse and they said, well, I really don't know. I'm, I'm really, I, you know... I, I don't know anything about nursing, but let me try to put this needle in your arm, you know, kind of deal. They wouldn't do that because they've been trained or taught about that. Now, I've had the privilege of people sharing with me and teaching me and all that, and I, that, that's not trying to be arrogant about it. I'm just saying that you're going to come across like you know something about it if you spent your life thinking about it and working on it and studying it and those kind of things. This young man has been so impressed because I have daughters that say this is who we are and this is what we're doing and this is where we're going and this is how we're going to get there. Now I can't tell you how all of my daughter's lives are going to play out. They may make some horrendous decisions along the way. Or the, I mean all those things are possibilities. I'm not standing before you saying they're perfect people and had made some bad ones along the way. But I am saying that there's a sense for all of us, if we know what we're doing, if we know where we're going, if we know who we are, we belong to Christ. And we're following His plan. We're going to follow His words, His instruction. That's going to be our outline. That's what we're going to use. Then you're going to have a confidence that's in Christ. It's not in you. It's in Christ. Because Christ has given you a road map. He's given you a light to light your pathway. And the same thing is true with marriage. How do Lisa and I conduct our marriage? Do you think Lisa and I have never been in an argument with each other? Well, let me tell you, I've won every one of them, right? Y'all know better. We have had moments of intense moments of fellowship. Let's put it that way. And in our home, we joke about it, but, you know, Lisa's goal in life is to hear me say I was... You know, the words just won't come out. And more importantly, she finishes with this, but more importantly, she wants to hear, she was right. That's what she really wants to hear, right? I mean, we've had times and challenges, those kind of things, but what's the standard for those things? The standard for those things is we're going to keep our tempers in check. We're going to have some level of patience. We're going to be able to control ourselves. I'm not going to hit her or abuse her, or those, why, why? Because that's what God's word teaches is the man I should be. It didn't say we're going to agree on everything. It said we're going to live within some boundaries or standards of behavior. And I can control what I think about, and I can control what I do with my hands, and I can control what I do with my mouth, and what I speak, and all those things. So what can we do to help ourselves? What are some practical tools? There's a couple of these that are going to sound like, yeah, I've heard this before. And then I think I'm going to talk about a couple of things that might be new, quote-unquote, new ideas. Hopefully they're not new ideas because they're in the scriptures. But we don't talk about a lot in church. The first one, I just want you to mention, we need to all recognize the struggle's real. And it's real within all of us. None of us are better than anyone else. We all struggle between, we have a war that's going on in our body between the spirit and the flesh. And we struggle with those things. I would mention to you that you need God's help in that struggle. You need to be in the spirit. You need to be 
having God on your team when you're dealing with that struggle. The next thing I would mention is we need to also be able to have a fellow Christian with intercessory prayer, whatever, pray for us. Let me tell you why. There's a couple of reasons. Because if I have a struggle with something, and it's just my own personal struggle, and I sit over in the corner with my own personal struggle and that kind of thing, I don't, there are some things that, some benefits to my brother knowing the struggle and me being held accountable to that struggle, whatever that struggle is. And that's a challenge for us because we, you know, now you need somebody you've got confidence in, you've got somebody who agrees to live by that same standard, they're trying to hold you accountable to that standard. But let me tell you part of the problem with accountability. I've, I've had young men come up to me and go, I want to be held accountable. I've got an alcohol problem. I want you to hold me accountable. I do not want to drink. I want you to hold me accountable. I'll do that. And then he starts disappearing from church, you know, or whatever. You go knock on his door. Why? Because he asked me to hold him accountable. So I'm going to go knock on his door. So I go knock on his door, and what did he say when he came to the door? I don't need you anymore to be held accountable. I will make decisions for myself. You know the end of that story, don't you? He's back on alcohol. He's making decisions he shouldn't make. He knows he doesn't need to be making them. But at the time he asked me, he, he wants accountability. I want to live right. I want to do right. I want to be the kind of person I need to be. But when he, you're actually holding him accountable, well, I don't want to be held accountable anymore. Why? Because I don't want to do what it is God's asked me to do. And it breaks my heart. Now, that conversation could have gone the other way. I've seen it go the other way. Had a good friend years ago. And if I said his name tonight, you would know the man. This man has stood before the congregation of people and he said, I've sinned and I am sorry and I will repent. And he hit the front pew and he said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Let me tell you where I came into the story. I've known the individual for a long time. And word was he was leaving his wife. He had two small kids. And I went over to his living room, sat in his living room with him. His wife had left that morning with two kids. And he's sitting in the living room. And his brain, I can't tell you where his brain was. His brain was spun out. I talked to him about that now. And he looks back on those days. This goes back way, way, way years. And he said, I was kind of thinking at the time Satan had deceived my brain that I could have my wife and I could have the girlfriend too. And everybody would be happy. I mean, who wouldn't be happy? He was deceived. His brain was spinning out with, with he, Satan had, had convinced him of something that was so far away from truth. And let me tell you one person who wasn't happy, and that was his wife. His wife said, I'm out of here, and I'm taking her two kids with us. This ain't going to happen with me in this house. And God bless that woman. God bless that woman. I sat there with him that day, and I cried. I begged. I pleaded. The decision you're making today is destroying you. It's destroying your family. Those two little kids were fixing to enter into a world that wasn't anything close to what they had signed up for with a mom and a dad in their home. And I walked away disappointed. He rejected everything I said. 
I got in the car that day, leaving his house. And my radio was on a country and western song that said something to the tune of, I think I'll just sit here and drink. Because I listened to country music back in those days. I turned it off because it sickened me. Not because the song sickened me, but because real life had sickened me and the song just reminded me of real life. Wasn't going to do that anymore. And I went back home. But I want to tell you the other side of that story. That man called me the next morning. It was a Sunday morning. And he said, I'm going forward at church this morning and I'm changing my life. I want my wife back and my kids back and I'm going to change what it is I'm doing. And I will tell you right now, that was probably 35 years ago, and that man is an elder in the church today, and he's married to his original wife, and they've been married 40-plus years. And I'll tell you that his kids have grown up in the church today, and if I told you his name, you'd know. We don't sit around and talk about those stories. But he was at a moment of decision. Am I going to control what I'm thinking? Am I going to control what I'm doing? Or am I going to make a decision to just live after the flesh? Those are awful, awful places to be in if you're not focused on living after what God wants. There was another story in my life that was very important to me, and I sat in the living room one day, and I said to her, what you're fixing to do is going to destroy you. And she made the decision she was going to go the other way, and she left and she influenced several other people to go along with her, and there's just been chaos and destruction in the wake left behind. When we start talking about controlling oneself, temperance, these things are real. It's real life. Ask somebody to help you. Don't sit there by yourself. Ask for help. Ask to be held accountable but expect to be held accountable. And then I want to talk about one other. Do you remember what was mentioned in that last passage of Scripture there in 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 5? It said, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent, and that for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, that you may come together again, and Satan tempt you not for your incontinence or your lack of self-control. Do you know one of the things that was mentioned there was prayer, but the other thing that was mentioned there was fasting. And there's several things in the scripture related to fasting. This isn't a whole sermon on fasting. But when you ordain elders in the New Testament, you know what they did? They fasted and prayed. Why? Very important decision. They, they weighed that heavily. I think fasting focuses you to what is in front of you and focuses you to this issue. Why? For a man and a woman, would he say, don't defraud yourself physically from each other, except it be with consent. That means in the case of Lisa and I, she and I both agree to it. And that for a time, that it's not a permanent situation, but we're going we're gonna to stay away from each other physically for a period of time that we can give ourselves to fasting and prayer that, and then come together again that Satan tempt us not for our lack of self-control. Why did he include fasting and prayer in that case? 
Because fasting allows you the opportunity to focus on spiritual things and not on physical things. It allows you to focus on those things. And that could be the case when you ordain elders. It can be the case in others. And there's a lot of things about fasting. There's not telling you how to fast. There's a lot of different ways people fasted. Sometimes they stayed away from, you know, food for a day or a couple of days or whatever the case would be. But, you know, Brother Sean, I hope you don't mind me mentioning you. Part of the problem with talking about fasting, it really is a challenge. Because, you know, the Bible says if you fast, you do it privately and you don't look like you're fasting. And so we have a tendency to not talk about fasting. And people go, well, apparently we don't fast. Well, I hope you fast. I hope you spend time dwelling on spiritual things. And I know for a fact that some of you do. And I'm going to talk about Brother Sean for just a moment. And if you mind, tell me no. But, but I didn't ask him permission. But I've been involved with Brother Sean on ordaining elders and deacons, that kind of thing. You know what we did together? We fasted in that. I know Brother Sean fasts. Because in that particular time, we're focused on spiritual things. And fasting kind of hones that in, that you're, you're trying to deny the flesh for a period of time. So we wouldn't eat for a period of time. Wouldn't participate in certain things. So when our congregation put this series together on attributes of character I was weighing this out and I was assigned the topic about self-control and I was weighing that out and I was kind of thinking about things in my life that I really needed to to pay attention to and let me kind of explain to you a couple of things I've already told you I love steak and potatoes I mean that's you know obvious or whatever but you could put steak and potatoes in front of me and that's okay I like it I really like it, but I'm not addicted to it. You know what I mean? You could put cake in front of me. And I like cake. I probably like steak and potatoes more, but you could put cake in front of me. I like cake. But I could pass on cake, and it doesn't really affect me. I'm not addicted to cake. I, it's just not a weakness of mine. And I could go a long time and not eat cake. But let me tell you an area that is... A, a struggle for me. It's Coca-Cola. Now that may seem cheesy to you, but I'm telling you, Coke feels good all the way down. And then I find myself, I've got one in my hand all day long. And then I find myself, I'm no longer 135 pounds. Right? It would really help me. It's not good for me. Now I'm not saying don't drink a Coke. If you want to drink a Coke, drink a Coke. That's not my point. My point is it's not healthy for me to drink a Coke all day long. So I stood up in front of my congregation at home, the people I love, and I said, this is November the 8th. And I just want to tell y'all, I'm not going to drink a Coke for a year. Okay? And I'm going to have all of you hold me accountable to that. And I want them to. And I said, now listen, every time I see you, I don't want you to ask me if you've had a Coke kind of deal. Because that could get a little rough with 120 people, you know, every service. It could get old. But I said, you all have permission to ask me four times this next year if you've had a Coke or not. Once a quarter. Feel free, ask me. And I've had some brethren, some sisters in Christ that come up to me because they say, how's the Coke thing going? Going fine. Now, here's my point. Do you think I'm going to disappoint my congregation? Do you think I'm going to disappoint those people? 
There is no way on God's green earth I am going to drink a Coke until November the 8th of 2021. I think it's four more months. It may be five more months. Now, I did not include Dr. Pepper in that. I did not include Fanta in that. I did not include, but let me tell you the difference. I can drink a Fanta and drink one and walk away. I can drink a Dr. Pepper, drink one and walk away. I struggle doing that with Coca-Cola. Now, your weakness may be something totally different. But I'm saying that I am going to teach myself that I can control myself. And I can do that. And I want our congregation of people, you have that same permission, please not a hundred times, but four times in the next four months or five months, you can ask me, did you hold yourself accountable? It doesn't bother me a bit. I want you to because I don't want to disappoint you. That's what fasting is. It's that concept. I'm going to focus in that I can deny self. Okay? I want you to consider incorporating that into your life in some way. Maybe your thing is something totally different. Make a commitment to it. Talk to your brethren about it and say, hold me accountable to this. Whatever that is, what, what I'm doing is hurting me. It's destroying me. It's not good for me. I need, to, I need to have healthy habits. I need to do something that's healthy for me. And share that with a brother or sister that you trust, that you care about. Let me give you another illustration of fasting, and I think it's helpful to the church. There was a couple came to Lisa and I, and they were getting married, but they were involved in some things they didn't need to be involved in, and they said, we're repenting of those things. We're going to live our life the way that we need to live them. And we said, while you go through this time, we're going to fast with you. And the idea being is, is that it also shows that we will suffer and deprive pain or whatever while they're going through difficulty. And as we're suffering, whatever the word suffering means to you, in, in the big context of suffering, it's not really suffering, but, but we're going to deprive ourselves of the flesh so that we can appreciate and focus on the fact that they're depriving themselves of the flesh. Maybe you need to get off cigarettes. Find somebody that'll fast with you while you get off cigarettes. Maybe you want to get off alcohol. Find somebody that will fast with you while you're getting off alcohol. While you're struggling with your struggle, they will struggle. Maybe in a different way, but they're going to be focused in on the fact that not only am I holding you accountable, I'm in this with you. I'm going to do my best to not participate in whatever that is that I've chosen to fast from. Participate in it. I just think we can use fasting in a way that would be beneficial to us in a spiritual context. If you live in the flesh, you're going to die. But if ye through the Spirit can mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And for us to focus in on telling ourselves no, that we can't have everything we want all the time, but I can control what I do is a huge factor to us walking a Christian life and doing so effectively. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.